Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with author J. Scott Savage, author of the Case File 13 and Far World series. This fall, Savage begins a new series, Mysteries of Cove, with the middle grade novel Fires of Invention. It's being published in September by Shadow Mountain, which is sponsoring this podcast. Fires of Invention is set in a steam-powered city located deep within a mountain. Inventions and creativity are considered criminal acts in the city of Cove, and that's a real problem for an inquisitive, mechanically inclined tinkerer like 13-year-old Trenton Coleman. After one of Trenton's inventions is accused of causing a major power outage, he teams up with Callista, the daughter of a disgraced inventor, to investigate the secrets of their city. And there are dragons, too. In a starred review of the book, P.W. wrote, Trenton will be a firm friend to any readers who long to use their talents to make their world better. Scott, thank you for speaking with me. Thank you for having me. So, Fires Invention, uh, this begins what will be your, your third series of books for children? It does, yep. yep. Okay. The first two were younger middle grade with Case File 13, a little older for Far World, and this is kind of that sweet spot between middle grade and young adult. So, was the, the idea for this series one that had been kicking around in your head for a while? Uh, actually, about two years ago, I was a BEA, and I was talking with the Shadow Mountain, the publisher of this series, about potentially new ideas. And that night, my wife and I went to go see Wicked, the musical, and we walked in, and here's this big mechanical dragon over the stage. And the entire show, I'm like barely paying attention, even though I loved the show, I'm just thinking, wow, I've got to do a series about kids building this mechanical dragon. I love it. I, I, you know, I love a Broadway inspiration for a, a sort of a, <laughs> basically a steampunk uh, book. And I mean, would you say it, it's safe to call this sort of a, a steampunk setting for this novel? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's as hardcore steampunk as some books. The, and the second book, there'll be three books in the trilogy will be a little bit more hardcore steampunk, but it definitely is a very steampunk feel. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly, you know, within the book itself, a lot of detail about the mechanics and the setup of, of the city of Cove. Um, was that something that you really in, looked forward to and enjoyed diving into and fleshing out and imagining? I did. It was something that, that took quite a bit of research because you've got a city that's built completely inside of a mountain. It's, it's totally sealed up. And so how would the different levels be set up? How would they be getting power? How would they grow plants and stuff? And so it was fun to kind of get into some of the, the gears and, and mechanics and steam power and how everything all works together. Mm. And I know this is a place where inventions are kind of essentially forbidden, but uh, did you have any particular favorite uh, inventions or mechanical uh, sort of things that you were able to uh, come up with as, uh, as you put the book together? Well, that was really the, the interesting part that you have in this first book is you do have a city where creativity of any kind is completely against the law, um, whether it's a, a painting or a sculpture or even just changing a machinery. Everything is set the way that it is. And so the trick is, how do you come through with this steampunk feel of these new inventions while also saying you can't do new inventions? And the the part that really kind of made it all click was this steam-powered dragon that that the girl's father has left them these clues for and really figuring out how are we going to make this 30-foot-tall steam-powered dragon actually work and fly and operate. Hmm. And did you know fairly early on in the writing process that you wanted sort of both Trenton and Callista to sort of be major players and to both both them and their families be sort of kind of at the center of this, at least this first book? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that that I wanted to do, and and there's kind of what you feel, and then there's I think how the characters uh, build up themselves and tell you who they are. But one of the things that I see a lot in middle grade is if you have a boy and a girl, the boy will be impetuous. You know, he's out doing things and maybe not thinking things through. And the girl will be typically the the smarter, more conservative one. And I knew right from the beginning that that wasn't going to be the case, that Trenton was going to be more of the rule follower, at least initially. And Callista was the one who was going to be going, look, at, I'm going to climb up the vent and, and explore this next level. You can come or not. You know, speaking of uh, the relationships in the book, uh, the one between uh, Trenton and his mother is a, a, a tough but also very kind of moving one. Can you talk a little bit of, about that? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I, I, I do like to have uh, my characters have their families involved. You know, we've got lots of stories where – you know, it's an orphan or, or you know, they're, they're taken away from their parents or whatever. And in this case, I wanted to have Trenton's mother and father involved. But there's also a dynamic where Trenton's mother, he's just so much into machines and, and understanding equipment. And she is anti-technology because of some things that happened to her earlier. And so there's this tough dynamic where I want you to see that Trenton's mother does love him and he loves his mother. But at the same time, there's just this huge thing between them. And I think that's a realistic family dynamic where everything's not always perfect, even though you might love each other. Getting back to this idea of uh, a city where creativity has has basically been forbidden, you know that's something with a lot of you know, allegorical power or you know, potential. Uh, what, what are the things that you sort of hope uh, this book and the ones that are still to come uh, may help get kids uh, thinking about? Well, I think right away, when you first start talking about creativity, it it seems like, I I don't know, almost a a, a nebulous type concept. What does creativity really mean? But when suddenly you come back in this story and you say to kids, all right, you can only read stories that have already been written. You can't read anything new. You can't change anything new. You can only look at paintings that have already been made, and and you can't change anything and improve it. There's suddenly a, a weight on your shoulders, and, and it wasn't even for me personally until I started writing the story that I would be stopped and go, oh, no, they can't do that. No, they can't do that. And so what I'd like to come away with, we'll, we'll be doing a, a big eight-week tour visiting schools all across the country. And the message is going to be that using your creativity, whatever that might be, that you can change the world. And so I hope that by seeing what the world would be like if no creativity was allowed, you get kids thinking, wow, I, I really am creative. I really can change not just my world, but the world as a whole. So are, now, are you uh, envisioning this as a trilogy, something longer? Yeah, no, I, I'm envisioning it right now as as a trilogy. And, and so this book takes place completely, or, or let's say 99% completely, inside this city of Cove that's inside a mountain. And the way that the story ends kind of sets you up. It's not, a, I actually have had a couple of reviewers come back and say, I really like the fact that I can see where the next book is going to go, but you didn't leave me with this huge cliffhanger where I'm just frustrated. And, and that was the goal is to say, this piece of the story is done, but there's a whole new story coming out. And so the plan is to have three books that will each be 
tied to each other. They'll be part of the overarching story. We'll still be searching for, you know, Callista's father. There's other pieces going together like that. But at the same time, I'm not going to leave you hanging at each at the end of each book. Hmm. And now between this book and your, your previous series, you, you have quite a few uh, you know, titles under your belt at this point. Um, are you basically writing full time now? I I feel like I'm writing full time. <laughs> um, you know, I've I've got a lot of friends that that uh, I'm close friends with that we all kind of started writing at about the same time. Who are full time writers? James Dashner, who wrote the Maze Runner series, and Brandon Mole, who wrote uh, Fable Haven and and uh, Five Kingdoms and a lot of other series. Brandon Sanderson, and so there is a part of me that's really tempted to make that leap, but at the same time, I've got a lot of other things that I've done with my life and. I, I still like to stay involved in other things. So at this point, I do have a day job. It's a little more flexible, um, but it gives me the flexibility to say, hey, I'm going out on an eight-week tour to promote this book. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Hmm. And, uh, you know, since you brought it up, um, how, what, what was the, how did you end up getting into writing and when was that taking place? You know, there's a lot of authors who, uh, when they grow up, they say, you know, I, I knew when I was five I wanted to be an author. I always wanted to be an author. And I've always loved books. In fact, I was the kid that used to cut school and go to the library. You know, that was that was kind of my, my home. And so I've always had a love for books and for writing. But I was actually, it wasn't until I was in my late 30s that uh, about, I guess that's like 14 years ago now, that I actually started writing a book and realized, hey, you know what, this is a real skill that I have. And then it was a few years after that before I discovered how much I loved writing for for kids, for that kind of, you know, tween, middle grade, young adult uh, space right there, because there's just so much magic in in that age. And and ever since then, it's like, wow, I wish, I, I wish I'd started doing this back when I was 20, you know? Mm-hmm. What is it about, I mean, since all of your series have been sort of in that middle grade, you know, at various, within the middle grade, a little younger, a little older, what is it about that that age group, whether it's for your readers or, or your characters, that you think uh, works so well for you? Well, I think there's a couple of things that are involved. One is uh, kind of what I call the uh, circle of influence or sphere of influence. Uh, younger readers who are just starting in chapter books, their books tend to be focused on on me. You know, I lost my puppy. I, I went to a new school. As you go up into middle grade, you get this kind of discovery of magic. It, it's like me, my friends, and my family. And, and there, even things that are just normal have a magical feel to them at that age. Then as you move into young adult, you tend to get more of the darker, a little bit disillusionment. And so for me, that sweet spot is right about the age of like a Percy Jackson. If, if, if kids read Percy Jackson, it's a little bit older, middle grade, slightly longer books, but books that can appeal to that magical side of, of everyone that, that, you know, that discovery, wow, you know, that the little bit of suspension of disbelief that these kids are really going to be riding on a flying 30 foot tall mechanical dragon, but we totally want to believe that as well. So I think it kind of comes down to that feeling of fantasy and magic that really appeals to me. And do you think that's why also the the books you've written so far have also sort of fall, fallen into different permutations of sort of supernatural and fantasy type ca- categories? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I think that, again, I, I mean, if you look at like the one and only Ivan, for example, well, technically, it's the story of a gorilla. There are no fantasy elements, 
but yet it is kind of fantasy because you're inside this gorilla's head. And so I don't know if all of my books, like like I had books that had magic, I had books that had monsters and zombies and that kind of thing. This book doesn't have magic. It doesn't have spells and wands and potions. It doesn't have supernatural creatures for the most part, you know, vampires and that kind of thing. It starts out as almost kind of what you call dystopian steampunk. And then as it goes forward, it gets more of these fantastical elements coming through. But I think that that's that one word, that fantasy or magic can apply to a whole range of books for that age group. Mm-hmm. And were these the sort of stories that you, you grew up reading when you were sort of sneaking off to the library and that sort of thing? Were, <laughs> was, it, was it all about fantasy for you then? What were some of the, I guess, formative books or series for you? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it was a combination. I, I loved, I mean, my memories of specific books were A Wrinkle in Time, Charlotte's Web, but also books like Where the Red Fern Grows, um, so most of it had a fantasy element to it, but a lot of it for me especially was I'm going to a different world. So even when you're reading Where the Red Fern Grows, which is not fantasy, you're reading about this boy that, that you know, he's out hunting and he has these these dogs and the things that are happening and stuff. And for me, that was the big deal is that I'm escaping to another world, which is what I've really tried to do in my books is is that I want this this city built inside this mountain, I want that to come alive to the reader where they really feel like if I went to the right place and opened the right door, I could walk into that city. It feels that real to me. You know, you mentioned uh, going out on tour later this fall, but I also get the sense that beyond that, you're, you're all out there quite a bit talking to kids in schools and that sort of thing. Is, is that uh, fair? Yeah, I think I visited, oh, I think we're coming up on close to 1,200 elementary schools now that I've visited over the past uh, seven, eight years. Hmm. Are your, are your visits sort of tied to the books that you have out? Do you do tend to discuss other topics with them? What are the, what are those like? Well, what I try to do is I try to accomplish two things when I do the school visits. One is what is the overarching message? So with Far World, the message was that everyone has magic inside them and that you're discovering your magic with, uh, 13th reality. It was, that our our differences make us strong. And with Cove, it'll be more focused on your imagination. With Using your imagination, you can change the world. But then I also, I really want to leave something behind that teachers can use with their students in the classroom. And so I almost always do something like how to come up with um, a great story idea in less than five minutes, where you can say, okay, one of the things that a, a teacher mentioned to me when I was doing school visits was we have kids that if you ask them to write a story, they just sit down and start writing. We have other kids that you might as well be giving them a hammer and nails and saying, build a house. And so what I try to do is give them tools. Okay, you know, your hero, it can be a boy, a girl, a tree, a car, a rock, a, a cheese wearing, tap dancing, you know, squirrel. Then once you've got your hero, you need a goal. And then, you know, what are your obstacles going to be? And what are your consequences of success and failure? And so by the time we get done, the teachers can go back and say, okay, we're going to write a story. Who's your hero going to be? What are your obstacles going to be? And so that's the try thing is, is what is the big message? And then what do I leave behind that teachers can use in the classroom to get kids excited about reading and writing? And uh, are you already well into working uh, on the next books in this series? 
Yeah, yeah. We actually just had a meeting with my publisher where we went over what we wanted to accomplish in books two and and book three. I've outlined book two, and and now I'm in the process of of actually doing the the first draft of book two. And did I see that you also had a uh, a Case File thirteen book come out this past summer? I did. That came out in June. That was the fourth book, uh, Curse of the Mummy's Uncle. And that's a series about kids who love monsters and Halloween's their favorite holiday. And in one of them, they get turned into a zombie. And in one, they discover that there's a mad scientist building a, a football team out of out of body parts. And in this one, they travel to Mexico and visit the Mayan pyramids and discover that there is a curse on one of the pyramids. And are, are there any other uh, projects you're working on that you can talk about, or is this keeping um, you busy? Yeah, no, this is keeping me pretty busy. I, I do have a, a, a new series for younger readers that I'm working on um, that's kind of, a, kind of an Indiana Jones in a suburban school, but all done in a kind of hard-boiled detective voice. So he says things like, uh, uh, education is a fickle mistress, and I knew I could be crushed like a potato chip in a kid's mouth at any minute. So that's something I'm playing with, but but we haven't actually shopped that yet. So it's still on the still on the on the desk. Very good. Well, uh, congratulations again on this book, and thanks for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Once again, I've been speaking with Jay Scott Savage, whose book Fires of Invention is being published in September by Shadow Mountain. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. 